This is the Buried and Born podcast. Today's episode is from our series on Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, Wisdom and the Foolishness of the Cross. First Corinthians chapter 15. This is what Paul has been building to since chapter 2. And because we don't have tons of time for recap, here's the short recap. Paul has approached a church who is boasting in their status, in their associations, uh, and in their personal achievements, whether that is knowledge or what they perceive to be wisdom or spiritual ecstasy, um, things that they perceive to be the whole point of the faith. God is trying to help me become the best me possible for my sake. That's what Corinth believes. It's actually a misnomer. Usually when we talk about Corinthians, we always say Corinthians is a very carnal church. They're actually the opposite. Uh, And Paul is going to talk about that today in chapter 15. They think that all of this down here is meaningless. And and this is more of a weight on us. And so things like structures, things like institutions don't matter as much. What, What matters is whatever provides me the greatest opportunity to grow and flourish. That's what Corinth is. Paul tells them that and says, actually, the highest wisdom that there is is not this this wisdom that you think that is spiritual wisdom that's individually held. The highest wisdom is the cross of Jesus Christ. And in the cross, the Spirit is doing something, if we'll join Christ in that cross, that he says, eye has not seen nor ear has heard, but we know it. It's a mystery that's been hidden since the beginning of time that has now been revealed in Christ. Then he's going to go through all of his chapters that we studied on all the things that they're doing wrong, why they have divisions, how they are harming their own bodies and how they're harming each other. He finishes off what we had just finished with how to have order in the church because he taught us that the, 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 the oil that makes the machine of the church operate is love and we are here to be a body of people together in the present world who are living a new kingdom. The whole point of our existence is not, I know we sing the song every once in a while, but is not, I'll fly away, O glory. The point is that Christ is restoring this world, remaking it, remaking us in this world to be together. And he has, he is now going to crescendo in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with what he started in chapter 2. What is the Holy Spirit doing when we join Christ in his cross? He is going to explain it here in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. So let's do the best that we can to get through this. I'm going to try to be as uh, concise as possible, which is usually not possible for me. Um, I'm going to waste a few extra seconds trying to find the book. All right, Uh, let's begin. So he's going to start here on verses 1 through 11, where he's going to begin, rather than argue his point, he's going to make his point, and show you that it's the most reasonable, logical thing that is happening. And then he's going to tell you why that point makes sense and what we should do about it. So verse 1 through 11, let's read this together. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 1, in vain. Remember that, because it's going to matter all the way at the end of the chapter. For I delivered to you 
as of first importance, what also I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not, there it is again, in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Paul is going to give them, right off the bat, a catechism class. He's going to write a, the first creed. This is the first Christian creed. You know, we've said this before in church. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. This is the first creed that we have in the Christian faith, and Paul writes it. He says, the first thing I want to give to you is the basis foundation of first importance. He says that word delivered. This is what I gave to you. Remember we said when we were talking about the Lord's Supper that he used that phrase, uh, I delivered, which is where we would get the same word tradition, where it is not a teaching or an idea, but it is an actual thing handed from one to another. So when we take communion, we are not doing or repeating an idea. We are taking and doing the same thing that Christ specifically handed to his apostles, who then handed to the church, and we're doing that. So we're taking part with him in that moment. He says the same word about this. It's the only other time he uses it in this book. I gave to you this thing. By saying that, he's saying everything else must stem from this, and if it doesn't, it doesn't fit. Take the Lord's Prayer, for example. If you made it a practice to say the Lord's Prayer, it would be difficult for you to say prayers that contradict that prayer because you have a, a sort of an anchor, a, a guidepost that tells you where you are, right? And so he says, if we take it that Christ died according to the scriptures, not this is a thing that Jesus did, but according to the scriptures, this is the point of what Jesus did, that he was buried, so he's dead, and that he was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. He says, if you make that the main importance in your church, everything flows from it, and it's much easier to chop away all the other things. Why does he need to do this? Because Corinth, if you remember in chapter uh, 10, where they were talking about your fathers walked through the sea and they were baptized in the Red Sea and there was the spiritual bread that came with them, Corinth saw everything as just an analogy. They didn't see anything as real. And so in the Old Testament, when they were baptized in the wilderness and Israel came out, that was symbolic of the Spirit baptizing you because he wanted to give you gifts and do stuff for you. And Paul said, no, the point of that passage was that the Spirit baptized them all together, that he made a body out of them. And Corinthians were like, well, we're just thinking of that as, and we see this a lot in American um, I'll say, well, I don't want to say Pentecostals because I like Pentecostals. We'll see this in a lot of TV preachers. A lot of TV preachers, you'll hear them and they will take every single verse in the Bible, doesn't matter what it actually means and says, this is God saying he's going to do something for you. He's got a miracle for you. No, he doesn't. He's got a miracle for us. And he's going to do it individually through each of us for us together. And Paul's contradicting them. So in this chapter, he's setting it up and saying, this is the reality. Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again. That's of central importance, and that is what the Old Testament has been building to. So if you're in Corinth, have you ever heard a sermon that when you heard the sermon, you thought, if that's right, I have to rewire like 10 other things that I've been thinking. 
Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But that is what he's doing here. If it is true that of central importance is that Christ physically died and that Christ physically rose, your idea that Christ was this teacher and he was supposed to teach you about spiritual transcendence and how to live a better life is wrong and everything has been about dying and being raised from the dead. That's how he begins. So he gives them this, that Christ died, that he was buried, that he was raised, that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. He, he wants them to know that Christ's death is real and his resurrection is real. And we see at the end, he tags himself onto that end of the creed when he talks about the apostles. Why? What does Paul do with his apostleship? When he becomes an apostle, what does Paul do with it? He doesn't do anything that benefits him. He doesn't do anything that, is, that takes him to the same level that the Corinthians thought that the gospel was supposed to take them to. He talks about how he works hard and he labors hard and he is, in, in earlier chapters, he has suffered for the Corinthians, right? And so Paul sets them up with this sort of building here and, and says, if this is of central importance, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and what I did with my apostolic authority was to serve you and work for you, tell me how your worldview fits into that. Tell me how your worldview, that the whole point of Jesus was to help me live a better life and be a better me, fits into that. How does, it, how does the death of Christ matter in that worldview? And the, the Corinthians are going to struggle with this because it doesn't fit with their worldview, which is why we always have to, in church, keep coming back to the centrality of the cross. We always have to come back to the centrality of what Jesus says, although sometimes it punches us and, and hits us in a way that we're not expecting, and it, it's a, it would be much easier to say it a different way to phrase it a different way, to emphasize something a little bit differently because you can maybe get more people in or you can attract more people to that message. And the centrality of the cross forces us to have to, well, that actually doesn't fit with that and that doesn't fit with that. So Paul establishes this death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as the most important thing. So let's move on to 12 quickly here. This next section is to tell us that what Christ did, he was beginning for everyone. Okay, what Christ did, he was beginning for each of us. Um, there are times where I'm getting the kids ready and we're trying to go out the door and I have a mission. Clothes on, shoes on, jackets on, we've got to go somewhere. And one of them will veer off the route and invent his own schedule. Savannah. Right? And they're not doing anything wrong. It's just they're not perceiving dad's schedule. They're not perceiving that he's got to be somewhere at a certain time at a certain place and we've got to go. And so one of them has the idea to make a bagel. Well, we've got to be where we're at in 10 minutes and it takes 15 minutes to drive there. So the math of you making a bagel doesn't add up right now, right? We've got to go out the door. And that's what he's saying is going on with Corinthians. Christ, since the beginning of time, the plan was for him to come as a man, as a human, to die for humans, that he might be raised because he's starting a mission. The final project of God is to take your bodies, turn them back into the dust, and then bring them up into something new that's yet to be seen. Only in Christ we've seen this. Again, the question then comes to the Corinthians, how does that fit in with what you think the church is for? How does that fit in with what you think the message is and what the Spirit is supposed to be doing? Because you thought it's, I came here on Sunday morning to hear a positive and encouraging, I've got nothing against Caleb, we joke about this every once in a while, but the message of the, it's fine that the radio station says positive, encouraging, K-love, 
the message of Jesus is positive and the message of Jesus is encouraging. But if you come to church and say, I just wanted to hear something positive and encouraging, this is not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to lead you to the cross that you would die on it with Christ so that Christ would raise you up. Not just raise you up now, but ultimately raise you up. We're going somewhere. It's not a hypothetical world that we're living in. We're, we're not living in a spiritual one day we're all gonna be floating around on the clouds world. Christ is doing a real work in the real physical material world and we're part of it. And so he says, Christ began something and we're moving towards Christ doing that thing with you. Why are you off on these other tangents all on your own being selfish? So let's, let's continue. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? The Corinthians said that. that. That doesn't make any sense. Dead is To be dead to the Corinthians was good because it finally shed off this flesh and I can go into the spirit world and know all the secrets and all the things that I can't grasp because his body's holding me down. So they would say it, the, the resurrection makes no sense. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is, there's the word again, in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. So here's the Corinthians mentality. Uh, I don't have time to draw it. The Corinthians believed that, that man was two parts, a soul and a body. That's what the Corinthians believed. They saw it as, if I could separate the two, soul and body, the soul is where wisdom is, the soul is where the spirit is, the soul is where knowledge is, the soul is where pure ecstasy and completeness is. The body is not. So what we saw throughout the book is the Corinthians said, whatever I need, require, or desire that would help my soul is fine. The body doesn't matter. So if we have a man in chapter five who is free from all the bondage that is on this world and decides that he wants to have his father's wife as a, as a sexual partner, right? That's fine because the body doesn't matter and the spirit is all that matters. On the reverse, if you go to chapter 7, where there were women in the church saying to their husbands, we're freed from the structure of, of marriage. You're no, you no longer have lordship over me. And so um, I decide that from now on I'm going to renew my virginity and, and I'm going to be chaste. The body doesn't matter because all that matters is my spirit. And Paul says to them, yes, the body matters because you are a body. A lot of times you'll hear somebody say, we are, we're, we're not a body, we're a spirit and we have a body. That's not what the Christian faith believes. The Christian faith believes you are a soul with a body. That is why Christ did not come as an angel. That is why Christ did not come as a spirit. He came in the full human experience, soul and body. He's a real human. That's what Christ is. And so Paul is arguing with this mentality that I can either do whatever I want or not do whatever I want. Because the body doesn't matter, the body is bad, and it falls away. Paul says, I've got news for you. You who are living here and your friends who have gone on before us, if they're dead and truly dead, that's the end of the ballgame. You don't leave this world and enter into this spiritual other where everything's great. He says, death is death, and it's bad. Um, you remember the man uh, on the cross with Jesus. Jesus says, today you'll enter it with me into paradise, if you recall that. So in the Christian worldview, death is not separation from body and spirit. 
Death is the condition of both body and spirit, wherever they may be. Which is why Paul says, while you were yet living and breathing, right, where your body was working, you are dead in your trespasses and sins because the antenna's broke. We don't have the capacity to know God. So the living person in their body who does not know God is dead. And the dead person who knows God is living. That's what Paul's mentality of living is. Does that make sense? All right. So to the Corinthians, the body is death. So we must shed it and go into the spirit. Paul says a living sinner is dead and a dead believer is living. Remember when uh, they were talking to Jesus about Abraham and he said, God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living because to Christ in the Christian worldview, Abraham is more alive than the average sinner walking about the street. They're dead because they're separated from God. And that's what Paul says. If you think you're going to shed your skin and everything's all fine and dandy, no. And if the only thing we have in this world is Christ as an example that says, this is a great way to live. We're of all people most miserable. And how many times have we made the joke, if, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, why are we here on a Sunday morning? Well, like, let's sleep in. The rest of the world gets two days to sleep in and we don't, right? That's what Paul's saying. We are of all men most miserable if you think the whole point of Christ is just to teach us a good thing. Because when you die, you die. Game over. That's it. And so Paul wants them to understand resurrection is necessary. So let's continue on with verse... 20. Yes. Verse 20. Here we go. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, really and truly. Not uh, as an analogy, not as a example to us of Christ's transcendence, right? He was on earth and this old earth killed him, but he rose up to the heavens and now he's with his father. Paul says, no, Christ rose from the dead, really rose from the dead. The man was alive again. Okay. Uh, he has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. If Jesus is the point of the whole deal, then the thing that Jesus did is what's happening. If the resurrection really happened, then he says that it is the first fruits, it's the beginning of where all of us are going. Make sense? Let's continue. For as by a man came death, by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every power and every authority, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. When it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain what, that is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. All right, let's go back one more time. He brought in Adam into the story. And here's Corinth again turning the entire Old Testament and New Testament, well, the Old Testament and the story of Jesus into analogy. The Corinthians looked at Adam and Jesus as two different types of people. There's an earthly man, Adam, and what does Adam do? He messes up. Then there's a heavenly man. So what, what Corinth said is, don't be like Adam, be like Jesus. But what they meant again by like Jesus is transcendent like Jesus. Jesus was fasting in the wilderness. He didn't need the things of this world. Jesus taught uh, uh, all these things on the mountaintops because why? Jesus knew things and he went away into the desert alone to pray. Well, that's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to be alone and we're going to be separate. We're going to pray. Jesus was transcendent. And, and Paul says, it's not that there are two different types of men. 
It's that there are two men who are the markers in the history of humanity. You're all Adam, he says to him. Death that came to Adam has come to all of you. You don't have the option to not be Adam, to be Jesus. You are Adam. You're all going back into the dust. But Jesus is not an example of how to not be Adam. Jesus is, after his kind, the new Adam that resets all of us. Again, I want you to just picture this train that's riding down the road that Paul's trying to set. The whole point has always been the Messiah to become a man, not a spirit. The whole point has been that the Messiah would die because you're all dead. The whole point was that the Messiah would raise from the dead because he wants to raise you from the dead. See, this train is where Paul is taking us so that all of the things that, that the Corinthians have been thinking along the way stop making sense. When you see that those train tracks, that Christ is renewing the earth and raising from the dead and defeating death and putting all things under his feet, to stay off to the side and have your little group of people who know how to speak in tongues because you get all this praise in church, it just doesn't fit anymore, right? To have our own, to say something like, you know, you don't really need the church. I can, I can know God in nature. That doesn't fit on this train. It doesn't fit on these tracks. Now, Paul mentions the kingdom here. Paul, it's very rare for Paul to talk about the kingdom of God. And a lot of questions that you'll hear on people who like to break apart the Bible, they will say, Paul and Jesus don't agree. And so they want to throw away Paul because Paul says a lot of hard things. The problem with that ideology is that Paul and Jesus are not talking about the same thing to the same people. Jesus is introducing the kingdom. Paul is inside the kingdom with everyone who's already there telling them how it operates. So Paul doesn't need to say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand because he's speaking to everyone who's already part of the kingdom, right? All of these letters are letters to churches. Paul doesn't need to say, this is what the kingdom will look like when it arrives because Jesus already did that. Paul's on the inside saying, here's how you operate. Here's how the body should operate. Here's how the church should operate. So why does Paul mention the kingdom here? Because Jesus dying and raising so that he could make you who are dead to be raised again is so that he could form a kingdom. Remember we said this in the last few chapters. Paul sees the church as a body, as a new kingdom, as a new order, as a new nation. He sees it as a socio-political body that is here, that has functions, and in some places has hierarchies, has leaders and apostles and teachers, has individuals who are gifted, and then it has the love that's flowing through it. Paul sees you not as escapists, not as spiritual higher-ups. Paul sees you as a new political kingdom in a present world that is corrupt and dying, and you have to operate in this kingdom, in the teachings of Christ, as we await for him to bring everyone else into this kingdom in the end. Now, Corinth, how does it fit with your individual spiritual selfishness when you think the whole point is for Christ to form a body? A body. What do we call the church? The body of Christ. So now get that mentality of body in your head as we go into this next section. Uh, as we speed along. Otherwise, verse 29, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Okay, Corinth, apparently, believing that baptism is some sort of um, uh, analogous uh, spiritual benefit, is 
doing this practice where they're baptizing each other on behalf of people who have already died. Uh, Paul doesn't need to correct them because when you take what Paul has taught throughout this whole book, you can realize that that's a, not a practice, that's a Christian practice. And throughout this book, he's hit on baptism a bunch of times. It seems like baptism was the thing that was going on in Corinth that was like super important to them beyond what is Christian importance. Baptism was baptizing you into certain groups, baptizing, I'm of Paul, I'm of Paulus, and now apparently they're baptizing for the dead. But Paul uses this faulty practice to say to them, don't you even realize, you in your spiritual selfishness, don't you even realize that some of the things you're doing give evidence to what I'm saying? You're baptizing each other on behalf of other people. You have a natural, innate craving for community. You care about the people that have gone on and died before you so much that you're getting baptized for them so that they would get some spiritual blessing in the next world. Don't you even see that even in your falseness, you're doing something that proves me right? You want community. People want community. People want friendship. People want togetherness. People want togetherness so much that, that, that as we see AI growing and growing in our society, what is the thing that you've seen the most? You can get, download an AI app and have a pretend friend, right? You don't, we, don't, we don't go on AI and pretend like it's 1984 anymore and it's, uh, what's his name, playing war games, right? It is, hi, this is Jeannie. I'm your new friend and I can help you with anything. It's a person. Why? Because even in our selfishness where we desire to go away from everybody and everything and be alone in our own heads, we're like, I want a friend. Right? That's what we are. And Paul says, you're baptizing people for the dead to prove yourself right. But really, you know that community is where we're going. The kingdom is where we're going. And he says to them, uh, again, because Paul cannot preach without stabbing someone in the in the heart he says to them uh, don't be deceived bad company ruins good morals um, he quotes this and the only other time he's quoted in the book is when he's saying something that corinth has said to him so it's possible that in like a hoity-toity snooty way corinth said to paul bad company corrupts good morals and he says back to them the things that you've been saying amongst yourself toward me that's the thing that's actually corrupted you. So you coming along and saying, I am at liberty to do all things, aren't I, Paul? He says, just sitting together talking about these things corrupts. And Paul really believes that the way we talk will affect the way that we believe. And if we get together in a circle where every time I'm hanging out with Tom, we're like, you know, Ethan, that guy, that will corrupt us to, stop, to, to hate Ethan. That's why it's not, we always do this with little kids, we teach them, don't gossip because it's naughty. And really what we need to do to the adults is don't gossip because it's evil, right? The things we teach kids are the things that we truly need ourselves to be doing. And Paul then slaps them a little bit, says, wake up from your drunken stupor. You have no knowledge of God. Again, imagine, I mean, nothing is worse for Laura right now than the fact that someone who loves music, can't, she can't sing, right? Imagine saying to somebody where their, their whole value is not, I'm, I'm wise and I'm knowledgeable. Paul's saying, you do not know God. Like, it's just gutting to them. So let's move on quickly. I got five minutes. But some, I got a lot of verses, the most, one of the most important sections of the Bible. Here we go. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Stop right there. Immediately, when we talk about something from the Bible, what do we always do? We always ask questions that are not the important questions. 
And Corinth says, okay, you're saying there's a resurrection from the dead. What is your skin like when you raise from the dead? And Paul says, we're not talking about the science of it. That doesn't matter. It does not matter. Of, Jesus, didn't, Jesus had flesh and bone, but not flesh and blood. That's the way that the gospels describe it. I don't know the science, and we're not here to talk about the science of it. What Paul says is, you foolish person, again, you're looking at the wrong thing. The body that you sow into the ground is not the body that you raised up. Thank God, okay? I don't know if, you're, if, if someone will notice you. Will we look the same in heaven? I don't know, because there were times where people were with Jesus and they didn't, know, they didn't recognize him. Then there were other times where they did recognize him. There were times where we walked through a wall. There was, I don't know the science of it all, and none of it matters. What matters is the why. Remember we said with Paul, the thing behind the thing he's talking about. And he says, you foolish person, stop asking me about the, the matter and the atoms and the physics of it all. He says, your body is being sown into the ground so that it would be raised something different. Keep reading. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, each kind of a seed to its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish, another for heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one kind. The glory of the earthly is another. There's a glory of the sun and the glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For different stars, glory, different glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown natural, raised spiritual. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Let's stop there really quick. Okay. He says, the thing you put into the ground when you grow a seed is not the thing that shows up later. Right? You put something in the ground, it's a seed, it sheds the husk, and something new grows out of it. That's what Paul says your bodies are. Your bodies are to go into the ground that something new may come out of it. We can take another class to figure out what the resurrection body is like, right? Well, why does he say it? Because he's sticking with this term body. Because remember, to Corinth, the soul and the body are separate. They mean different things. We don't want that. And Paul says, always, always body. So much does Paul care about body that when he talks about the resurrection, he wants you to know that it's going to be in a body. Not so that we can argue about resurrection or not so that we can talk about being able to fly through walls or all the magic that this body can do, right? That's not why. Paul says, what is the essence of a body? Whether it's a body of water or a physical human body, it is a place and a thing that is real where you could look at it and go, that is that thing and it's there. Lake Michigan is not in Nevada because that body of water is that water there, then, in that place. And Paul says, you are to be you there, then, and where are we the most when we're you? Remember back earlier in the chapter, I said that wrong, but I'm going fast. What does it truly mean to be you? To be known. You are not you alone. You are you when you are known. That's why Paul says the greatest thing is to be known by God. And so we are to be raised up in new spiritual bodies. That's a mind-blowing sentence to the Corinthians because spirit and body is not the same thing. So when Paul says you're going to be a spiritual body, what do you mean? Is spirit instead of blood? I don't know the physics of it, but you're a spiritual body. Keep going because we're going to speed through it. 
There was a first man. He was Adam and he was a living being. Then the last man is a life-giving spirit. But the spiritual is the first, not the natural. Then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth. He's dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are also those who are dust. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. What does that mean? That means what Jesus looked like is what you're going to look like. And so if the end is to be like Christ, then stop striving for your own selfishness and be like Christ. Be looking for the thing. I told you this before as a joke. My mom gets up every day of her life and looks out the window to the eastern sky because the Bible says Jesus is going to appear in the eastern sky and we should be looking for him. And she's literally doing it. She's looking for him. If we can make ourselves say that is our end, that is where we are going, so that's where we need to be now. This is the end. This is where Paul has taken the longest book of his writing as to this point, and he blows up in this final grand crescendo. This I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable, imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on imperishable, the mortal puts on immortal, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the essence of the entire human experience. There was a man of earth who was corrupted and died, but there was a man from heaven who came to assume all that we are, that he might kill death, destroy death, raise us from the dead to be here in a new world with a new church and a new assembly where the gates of the city are never closed and there's a tree of life in the middle and there's fruit for the healing of the nations. So we are together as one body without the corruption of sin, without the corruption of evil kings, without the corruption of bad churches, without the corruption of thieves and liars and whoremongers that are outside the gates. That is the promise of it all. And so, therefore, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your, that in the Lord, your labor, your labor to be like the cross, your labor to find the cross, your labor to be with Christ in the cross, your labor to die, unlike everything that the Corinthians have been doing, is not in vain. And that's how he ends his teaching of the church. You can read chapter 16, and I'll say this and we'll be done. We're not teaching 16. Chapter 16 comes down out of the mountain, and Paul says, I need to collect for the saints because there's a lot of poor people. I need to take care of them. Unlike the Corinthians, we don't live up here. Everyday life is the people who set up the hot dogs, people who make the coffee, people who plan the service, people who play the piano, people who clean the floors on the days that you weren't here, people who swept up and cleaned the bathrooms, people who ministered to the sick people in the church. That's the everyday. And so we will not look for the mountaintops. We're waiting for the mountaintop. The resurrection is going to be great. But until then, flee to the cross because Christ is taking these dead bodies and making something new and alive and beautiful. And thanks be to God for that. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your book. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for Christ. Let us all be drawn toward him. Let us follow after the cross that we might live and be raised with you in the end. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to the Buried and Born podcast. We hope you'll continue with us through our series on 1 Corinthians. 
You can download notes for this series and others at buriedandborn.substack.com.